A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to Balanced Podcast with me, Molly Raycraft, a well-being and health journalist with a passion for living better. Each episode, we'll speak to a special guest about how they incorporate wellness into their lifestyle. By sharing their stories, we hope you can learn some tips and tricks to finding balance within your own life. In this episode, we'll be speaking to author and journalist Francesca Spector. After realising she struggled to enjoy time by herself, she began actively trying to change that. Now she's the author of the Times Book of the Year called Alonement, How to Be Alone and Absolutely Own It. And she also has a podcast called Alonement, where she interviews interesting people about their experiences with being alone. So we'll be chatting about what she's learned along the way, how she deals with loneliness, and whether the nerves of eating out alone ever really go away. Hi Francesca, how are you? Hi Molly, I'm doing great. How are you? Thank you for having me on today. Thank you, I'm really good and I'm really excited to be talking to you because we're going to be talking about being alone but kind of in a different way in that it's alonement. So we'll be digging into what that means but it's a concept that you've been focusing on for a while and you've written a book about it and also you do a regular podcast as well so people listening to this podcast should also check that one out. But we like to start every podcast by first asking our guests how do they find balance in their life what does balance mean for you yes so balance actually is at the heart of I think at the heart of wellness generally that's all what we're striving for isn't it and I suppose writing in that space as a self-help author my whole spiel is around being alone and I invented a word for this which is the name of my podcast called Alonement. And when I thought about that word, I thought, well, we need that word as a counterbalance to loneliness because I never used to understand that time alone could be good uh, in the way that time alone can also be bad. And the beginning of my career, I suppose, around alonement, writing about this topic, podcasting about this topic, was almost exclusively focused on the good. It was like I was rediscovering this thing for the first time and it was something where I was focusing on the positives and not so much on the balance aspect of it. And it's only, I think, in the past 
year or so where the balance has possibly become the most important crux of this conversation because alone months time alone being good it doesn't really work unless you've had a balance of social time as well and that balance looks different for everyone we know the conversation around introverts and extroverts but it's actually finding that balance that makes both states being alone and being around others a really positive place to be yeah, I completely agree. Because I, something I wanted to stipulate here was that although we're talking about being alone and enjoying being alone, you're not a recluse. You do see people and, you know, it's about balancing the two of social and having that time to yourself. Is that something that you consciously moderate? Do you like know how many like social meetings in a week will just like tip you over the edge and burn you out? Or is it something you're still very, like you said, very much getting to grips with I think like all of us I'm a work in progress in this way really trying to see how this social solo balance plays out on even a weekly basis I have made progress to an extent so there've been things like on Sundays I don't know about you Molly but I can find Sundays quite a lonely day if I spend them all by myself don't know what it is any other day of the week I seem to be able to have mastered it but Sundays not quite so while I want to have a big period of alone time of alonement on Sundays I do try and counterbalance that by maybe having a plan in the evening maybe a chilled sofa time with friends where we'll have a cup of tea and talk about our weekend or maybe a breakfast or a walk first thing and then both thrive I think by that contrast but it is something that I had to develop almost self-compassion around because I came from it from a strange vantage point I have my whole life been an extrovert and I think that there was a period when I first wrote this book where I discovered this wonderful thing and I think during the pandemic which set us all off balance I didn't really understand why alone time wasn't holding the same value all the time for me so I think it's actually coming to that place of moderation that I had to get to but that did take self-compassion almost as the author of a book about aloneness to realize that that was a valid need in myself it's a strange process because I think we get to a point where we've written about something can we represent something and we think okay that's that's me that's the final destination that's my version of happy and I think the reality of realizing that it is a constant recalibration is hard but it's being able to have that idea in my head that nothing is stable and that I will maybe find general rules like my sort of Sunday revelation around this, but I'm never going to quite find the medium. The point is that I, and you know, I think anyone struggling with this is always sort of striving and always knowing to look for those values. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's interesting you should say about Sunday, because for me, it's actually the opposite. Sunday is my alonement day. And it kind of was born out of the middle of doing a dissertation and literally working like seven days a week, writing this essay. And it's become a ritual now where I every Sunday evening, I have a bath, like without a doubt, I read, I just sit in my room, I have like a really nice evening, I watch a Korean film, and that's always my time no matter how like burnt out I am or like how many things I've had Sunday evening is always my alonement time so is there a similar kind of event that's happened in your life that has kind of triggered your journey with alonement as well 
Hmm. Well, firstly, I love that Sunday is your alonement time. I think that's actually true of quite a lot of people. Perhaps that's why I always found this a bit, uh, I found it a hard revelation to come to. But I think I love that idea of rituals, actually, because I think that rituals are whatever way that they work or whatever you do during them, they are quite a nice practice. We have them built into our religions. And, you know, I think if we can build them into our secular life, we'll get the same benefits, that familiarity, that sense of being able to look forward to something or have something stabilizing us. So I love that you can have them around your alone time as well as your social time. I think that's a really important, nice thing to have and just a nice element of one's relationship with themselves. Coming back to your original question though, about whether it was a life event that triggered this alonement journey for me, it very, very much was. And I think that in a way, maybe this is the story that's resonant with a lot of people listening to this. I think that breakups can be a really good time for self-development. They always have, for me, weirdly, the major breakups in my life have coincided with things like starting a new blog project or starting a new job. But I had a breakup in my sort of mid to late 20s. I think I was, actually I was 27 when it happened. And that was the one that didn't feel like it was going to be a productive one, because as far as I was concerned, naively in my late 20s, I thought this was the relationship. And I knew that in the back of my mind, I wasn't very good at spending time alone or being single, but I found my cure-all solution for that. So when this relationship ended, and you know, it actually wasn't a surprise, it was actually something I realized I had to instigate, but it took me a long time to come to that revelation. When this relationship ended, I felt very lost. And it was almost like I had to look for my plan B, because I really didn't know how I was going to go back to my old typical breakup behavior, which was going on all these bad dates with people who weren't very nice. Uh, And my relationship before that had always been considerate and nice and mature. I didn't want to regress, I suppose, in the same way as I had in the past, because a lot of my friends were by that point in long term relationships. The framework of my life, of my social structure had shifted around me while I'd been in this relationship for a couple of years. So I came to this revelation that actually, if I was going to build and continue a life that was meaningful and happy and wasn't dictated by a need to get into another relationship really swiftly or to always be surrounded by people, I was going to have to try to spend more time alone, not necessarily single, but definitely to just spend periods of time by myself and I suppose do things for me, like you were talking about uh, watching Korean films before, because I know we've had a conversation about you learning Korean, like language learning or like reading or like writing my book. I realized this was going to be a time when I invested in me in time with me. And that started as a personal challenge. And it started as something which I thought, ah, you know, I'll try it a couple of times. Let's see how I get on. It actually became something that began to change my life on a personal level. And this continued for a good few months. This continued for about, I'd say, eight, nine months before I thought it was something that could really benefit anyone but myself. And yet the more I practiced alone time, the more I spoke about it with other people, I realized that actually I wasn't the only one who had neglected myself in favor of, I suppose, a relationship or going out or really over-socializing. And then that began, because I was a lifestyle journalist at this point, it began an exploration of what could be a book and a podcast. And ultimately it's led 
through me pursuing those creative avenues, it's it's led to a whole new career for me where I'm very lucky that most of my professional life is spent around talking about alone time. Do you think that people kind of stay away from talking about being lonely? Because did you notice that there was clearly a gap to talk about this? Because I have spoken to so many friends on separate occasions, similarly coming out of a breakup, and it appears that everyone in London is actually very lonely, but doesn't actually want to ask anyone else to do anything because they assume everyone else is also really busy. So everyone's just kind of sat at home like oh no one's no one's available oh like this is really distressing I'm such a loser I've got no friends when actually people do do want to do things even if that is like sat together at home watching tv or whatever people just don't seem to talk about it yeah it's absolutely amazing I think loneliness is almost on par with having an STI in terms of you know taboo value it's really strange and actually I'll be quite honest about this it wasn't necessarily an area that I'd felt that comfortable confronting before the pandemic either. It was a conversation that came quite naturally as a byproduct of me talking about alone time in a more positive way. And I realized that as taboo as it was, and as scary as it was, it wasn't a topic that could be left out because alone months, positive time alone, it simply doesn't work if you're not facing up to the very real risk that every life really has, every you know, the potential that every life has for loneliness. And I think particularly in London or perhaps in any capital city, it can happen because people have a lot of pressure. People have different high powered jobs and are running around a million miles an hour. And people are geographically more separated, particularly in London, where we both know it's, it's like four or five cities squished into one in terms of its size. There are so many different factors about cities that can make us feel lonely. I think sometimes even just having the sheer presence of other people so close around us, the the fact it's quite densely populated and that even if you think that you're having a nice night in, you might hear someone's laughter in the next flat and feel like, there's something that you should be part of. It's very much there all the time. I actually had a guy, a wonderful polar explorer, Erling Kagi, on the podcast who had traveled to the South Pole and it took him 50 days and 50 nights. And yet having spent some time in London, because uh, he's Norwegian, he told me that actually he'd felt lonelier in London than he did by himself for 50 days and 50 nights. I suppose this is all to say that it's there and it's normal. And actually, if we were to take away the taboo from loneliness, I think it would be quite helpful because it really is just an evolutionary thing. It's a hunger telling us that actually we might benefit from some human company. Aloneness, alone months, in a way, is a strange urge that we have because from an evolutionary standpoint, it's not really explained. I don't really know. I suppose it's an open question. Why do we yearn to spend time by ourselves? I think that perhaps that's even something that is spiritual in us, but we do need to balance that with the animal evolutionary part of ourselves that are social beings and do need to be part of a tribe. And I think by balancing that and giving ourselves compassion and opening up narratives, it can be really helpful through acknowledging our needs for social time and in the process, being able to enjoy alone time by contrast to that. 
Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, about what you say about London. And I was going to ask you if there's a reason why you think London is quite lonely in particular. But I also enjoy sometimes London being densely populated because you can get so lost in the crowd. And I think when I'm, I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling really stressed and like my problems are so big, I actually like to walk through central London because it reminds me of how tiny I am in the world and how really my problems aren't as massive as they may seem to me yeah there's a really gorgeous word for that actually it's sonda have you heard of it no I haven't but that's lovely so a friend introduced me to it it basically means sonda so s-o-n-d-e-r it's the revelation that everyone else has minds as intricate and complex as yours and everyone's wandering around with this whole internal world and I guess from what you're describing, walking around London and seeing all these people almost trapped in their own worlds, that can give you that sense that actually, yeah, there, there are so many people, so many different minds, so many different struggles going on. I think that sometimes actually being able to do that and walk around and see that, that can be a force for feeling, I don't know, more connected, more part of something bigger. Because when you're sat at home and you're just hearing it, you kind of don't really feel it as much. Uh, that was almost something quite weird about the pandemic. You weren't seeing other people's faces that much. So you felt very trapped in your own. Definitely. And I, I want to talk a bit about alonement because we've obviously just touched on kind of the more negative side of being lonely. And obviously alonement isn't to discount that, of course, like you know, being lonely is a very valid feeling. But you've coined this word alonement. How do you define that? And how is that different to just being alone? I think alone is a neutral word. Obviously, we use it quite often in a negative term, but really it is a neutral physical state. It's being by yourself. Or it might describe perhaps being in a very crowded place, but you are, you know, you're sitting at a table by yourself or you're in a room, but not engaging with the others around you. In any sense, you're emotionally or, you know, physically by yourself. Alonement is when that's a positive experience. So it might be positive because it's happy and joyful and fun and you're you're doing exactly what you want to do. So enjoying a guilty pleasure, Netflix watch and eating your favorite ice cream. Or it might be restorative. So quite often alone time can be a time that you work on a project that's important to you or do a personal development practice that helps to ground you like meditation or journaling. It's not always when you're necessarily, yeah, ecstatic, happiest at the top of the world, but you're certainly doing something that will benefit you either in the short term or the long term. So that's what alonement boils down to. And then it can come into all sorts of different things. So it might just be that 10 minute period that you have at the beginning of every day where you sit with a cup of tea at your table. And that's what grounds you before you start the day. It might be a six month trip to New Zealand. It can be anything, but it's often in, I suppose, a moderation to the rest of your life. It's to counterbalance the social time that you have and to carve out that little bit of space for you in your life. One thing that actually struck me when I was reading your book is how actually, although I'd spent a lot of time alone, I hadn't really been alone because I was always on my phone or I was always listening to music. I was always being stimulated in some way and I completely 
forgotten to just detach myself from everything so I was living by myself but I wasn't actually by myself because the radio was always on and it's actually just such a lovely feeling to you know not put my headphones in and walk around the park or actually reconnect to myself and enjoy that time. Yeah absolutely and it's funny what you describe is the norm it's not it's not rare I think any of us hearing that will think yeah of course like the radio is quite often on or yeah my phone's on a lot or whatever I think that the state of being properly alone is almost really rare I mean going out without your phone that seems like a crazy thing to do and yet we're walking around with these people in our pockets and not not just people actually because I think that I don't think anyone could quite be as stimulating as all singing all dancing as your phone it's this one-stop shop that pings you and and urges you to do lots of different things it's like a very megalomaniac toddler in your pockets just crying out for your attention and it was that revelation I guess when I first started exploring this, that, okay, I've spent the night in, but why didn't that feel good? And quite often it was because my attention was taken away by my phone. I'd sit on WhatsApp or I'd sit on dating apps. And that's never, that's, it's never going to feel like alonement. Something that actually became clear to me when I interviewed Dr. Emma Hepburn. So she's also known as the psychology mum on Instagram. She was telling me that the state of flow, so... I'm sure you and a lot of people listening to this are already familiar, but it's that state of being so immersed in a task that you sort of don't notice the time go past. You're just, you're just in it. A state of flow is actually really important to psychological happiness. And I think if we're alone and our phones are pinging in a state where we're constantly being taken out of that state of flow, it's actually psychologically very overstimulating and really unsatisfying. And it means that we can't engage with anything that we're actually doing alone properly so it really does complicate things you're so right and I think it's so important to acknowledge that because we forget that actually maybe that's the reason why a lot of us don't like alone time possibly because we're not really being alone enough I think it's actually spiked kind of a craving from people, particularly people I know around London in kind of high powered jobs to go on these like I would say they're kind of like alonement holidays. I don't know if you've seen them. They're like these cabins on the outskirts of London. They're like an hour away from London. You can go and stay for three nights and you lock your phone in um, a box and you'll give it, you are given a phone for safety reasons, but it's one of those old-fashioned ones with snake on it um, and they are so popular and I, I told some of my um, colleagues about it and they've literally all booked holidays to this I think it's called unplugged holiday cabins where you just sit for three days and just enjoy nature and just you know not be away from everything and it's just so lovely. Mm, I think it's really interesting I have heard about these uh, and I was definitely thinking about going to one yet a guest I had recently on the podcast uh, and she's one of my favorite authors and podcasters Emma Gannon hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. She's recently written a book called Disconnected. And it's not so much how to digital detox, but how to revisit your relationship with tech and social media. And her argument in it was less for digital detox. In fact, she's not a massive fan of that, but more for one of moderating our day-to-day relationships with our phones. Uh, And I I was actually thinking about this book earlier, and I was thinking, I suppose tech, the internet, it's become something a bit like food. We can't not eat food. It's not something we can give up, like smoking or alcohol. It is a reality in our lives. So perhaps an attitude of moderating it, of, I suppose, going to the heart of what balance is about, moderating it and balancing it is maybe the better approach than rather than doing away with it entirely and we all have our own methods for doing this I have this cupboard where I actually physically lock my phone away um, with a you know with a, with a padlock when uh, when I want some proper alone time and people you know my friends know that that's my sort of phone and cupboard time we all have our different methodologies, but I think that maybe those less less harsh ones, but ones we can also introduce into our everyday could be something a bit more beneficial for alonement, because then that means that we can kind of have the best of both worlds without an extreme holiday that we're not necessarily going to be able to keep up the practice of in our day-to-day lives. I love that. I'm definitely going to be getting a box to put my phone in. I I see what you mean, actually. And I suppose that kind of relates in a way a bit to dieting. You know, when it's people kind of say, actually, these diets where people only eat like, I don't know, eggs for like two weeks don't actually work. And it's so much better to just build a lifestyle that's more healthy and you'll see much more sustainable results from that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess in the same way people have described this solo social balance as uh, as creating a diet you, you need your daily diet of I don't know soft interaction with the coffee shop barista and deep meaningful conversations with your friends and all sorts of different nutrients you can get from social time but the thing that people leave out is that you also need the nutrients you can get from solo time so some introspection some self-awareness some future planning all of those things, it really does come back to that moderation. And I think that being able to think about the relationship that tech has with that, it allows us to actually think, okay, how how am I compromising these nutrients if my phone is involved? 
So I'm intrigued to know what your favourite alonement activities are. So this really varies and I mean varies on like a month to month basis. So all I can really speak to is this month I'm loving uh, reading fiction. I've just got so majorly unashamedly back into fiction in a big way at the moment. I'm just finishing up, uh, I think it's called A Very Nice Girl by Imogen Crisp, which is just a really gorgeously written novel about an opera singer uh, in a relationship with with an older man. And that's pretty much, I don't know, as good as going to a party at the moment. I I love parties, but this book is just a really great contender to uh, anything in my social calendar right now. I think that's the mark of great fiction. Another thing that I've been enjoying, again, simple pleasure is uh is just painting my nails so i've been doing uh doing gel nails which is much more relaxing because they they set automatically so you don't end up berating yourself when you smudge one inevitably so i've been enjoying doing that because it is pretty mindful it's you, you have to be using your hands so you can't be on your phone and then you're doing this nice self-care act to yourself you're properly looking after your nails i mean you have to so you get a decent surface for the gel so it's all that nice simple act of love to yourself uh, that I've really been enjoying and then I'll just put on some music in the background so I like I was listening to um, Ludovico Ainudi last night but you know also maybe have a woman's hour or a podcast that I like on my Amazon Alexa Amazon Alexa is very useful by the way if you're living alone especially if you're painting your nails because you can just tell it and you don't need to (laughs) ask anyone to put the radio on for you and the other thing that I've been doing and this is more consistent But the thing that I've been doing for the past, I think, nine months now that has really, really changed my life is just a 10 minute meditation with calm every morning. And I think it's nothing since journaling, which is also my absolute mainstay favorite alonement activity. Nothing since journaling has made such a big difference to my life, to my daily sense of well, not to plug the brands too much, but my actual daily sense of calm and sort of enjoyment of the slower moments of life. So yeah, I guess reading, painting my nails and meditation are currently my big, big three this month. I love that. Yeah. Nails for me is also a massive one. What I also wanted to know was, do you remember the first thing that you did alone? And do you remember any challenging moments of that, how it made you feel? Because I, I, I think sometimes when I push myself to go and do things by myself, I think, oh, is it a waste of money? Because I like won't feel comfortable. I'll feel like nervous the whole time. And then, you know, it's not worth me doing it. Do you, yeah. do you kind of recognize that? Was that something you went through as well? Absolutely, yes. I think that we have this approach and I call it, in my book, I call it only meism. We think, oh, well, I'm not going out for brunch by myself because that would be expensive and how indulgent to spend that money on myself. And then you, you do extrapolate. You extrapolate to, oh, I won't enjoy it. It might lead me bumping into someone that I know uh, or, you know, oh, I should be seeing a loved one or a friend I haven't seen in a while or all of this. And we, we really do because habitually and socially, we're not used to spending time alone. And I remember having all these inhibitions as well the first time I did it, or at least the first time I did it publicly, because one of the main alonement activities I remember at the beginning, uh, so in the, you know, in the month or two after my breakup, uh, which happened in 
late 2018, I'd woken up every Saturday morning for as long as I could remember in my relationship, feeling like this hyperactive puppy that just needed to get out. And that's, that's me. That's, that's, how I wake up on a Saturday morning, I've still not quite recovered. I've still not relaxed enough to sort of lie in. Um, I do need to get up and out. My ex-boyfriend quite rightfully liked to sleep in at the weekend, as he probably would have put it, as many would put it, like a normal person. But we had this tension in our relationship and it had never occurred to me that I could just go for a run or go for breakfast or do whatever the hell I wanted. Um, And then we could meet up a couple of hours later and be great. So it never worked in the context of a relationship it was always a tension between me wanting to get out the house him wanting to stay in bed no one was happy and yet I woke up one Saturday morning a few weeks I suppose maybe a month after this breakup and I realized I can just go for brunch by myself I can just take myself off to the local cafe it's open at the moment anyway I can take my weekend supplements and go and sit and read by myself there is no one stopping me and then the voices came in then the voices came in Ah, oh, but that's expensive by yourself. Or, oh, what if what if your ex walks in with someone? Or what if someone sees you? How what will you say if someone sees you? All these things, which might seem irrational to some people, to others they totally relate. They came in, and yet I thought, well, I don't want to not go for brunch until I find another boyfriend, or until I find someone insane enough to get up at 8 a.m. on a Saturday. I'm just going to go myself because why have I always been depriving myself of this? And as much as that might sound like a you know, small step for mankind and nowhere near as impressive as the uh, as the polar explorer who I interviewed who walked the South Pole for 50 days and 50 nights alone, to me it felt like something comparable at the time. It definitely felt pretty mighty and it became... I suppose going and enjoying it as well, that became the motivation for me and the the thing that spurred me on to be able to try bigger and better things alone, to know that actually this thing I thought would be awful wasn't awful. So I could, I guess, use that as a stepping stone to more and more outrageous alone things. Do you think it gets easier the more you do it? Do you stop worrying as much? So I thought it would be incremental. I thought that I'd just get more and more adept at spending time alone. And for the first year or so, up until the pandemic, that was the case. It, you know, I would think I was, I was planning a solo trip to New York for a couple of weeks when the pandemic hit. So I was like, oh, damn it. I was really making progress here. And then I think it was, my lifestyle changed at that point. So to give context, I went from working five days a week in a really busy office at an American tech company to working for myself uh, because it was actually around that time that I got my book deal. My lifestyle changed and of course the pandemic happened. So I went from a time when I just had lots of busy social time to almost react to and recover from to not having any of it. And I actually found during that period that doing things alone was harder. So when I booked to go and stay in a cottage for a week to finish the book, I found myself feeling restless and actually not being able to lean into that time. And that's because my diet, my my social solo balance was all off. So I suppose to go back to your original question, it does get easier to an extent and you do feel braver because you've proved yourself to yourself, but it can also be challenged. I, I think, you know, no progress really is just linear. Progress does happen in a swirly line. And I think that maybe we go through periods where we lose our confidence to be solo and we need to build it up again, or we need to find some recalibration in our lives again before we can do it. I will say that once you've done a certain kind of thing, so 
for instance, going to the cinema solo or holidaying solo, you have encountered maybe the challenges inherent in that specific situation. So it does feel like there aren't so many obstacles, even something as silly as I remember going to the cinema and getting my popcorn and then thinking, oh, I, I have no one to hold my popcorn. <laughs> it was a very, when I went to the toilet, like it, that was a very strange thing, but you realize that, okay, these are obstacles you might encounter or when you're solo traveling, the difficulty of finding a accommodation where you're not charged the single supplement. So the, the cost, the double cost based on hotel rooms uh, revolving around two people sharing them. All of those things, I think that whether you encounter them alone or whether you talk about them with other people who've also done things solo and found ways to encounter them, that does empower you and make these solo activities easier because I guess that inner critic has less of an argument against why you shouldn't do it. I'm exactly the same. For me, it's restaurants. I think, oh my God, what if I go to a cafe or restaurant and I need the toilet and then the waiter doesn't realise I've not left and they give my table to someone else. Yeah, that happened to me actually in a hotel. No. Uh, yeah. I it was just a hotel breakfast, but I had this whole setup and I think I oh, I think I just had this really great plate of eggs and toast that I just freshly made. Uh and I think I went I don't think I you know what? I don't think I even went to the toilet. I think I went to get more food. So that's maybe this is just a moral tale about gluttony, but I went off and I came <laughs> back and my and my table had been cleared and I thought, oh no. But I think that the yeah, my top tip for that would be to get on the side of the of the waiting staff uh, because quite often, and this is a lovely thing about being alone, you can have much more of a rapport, uh, which is really great actually if you're somewhere where you're trying to learn a foreign language and you you practice end up practicing quite a bit more through those interactions. Uh, but yeah, that definitely is an obstacle. You're feeding my fear here, but I will take on board the uh, <laughs> get to know the waiter. Ah, um, maybe wait for that extra course at breakfast. That's my tale. <laughs> Yeah. Um, One thing that I was thinking about when I was preparing my questions for you was I think the difficulty of when you become someone that speaks out on the subject, you often become seen as this guru who does it perfectly, knows everything. But I was intrigued to know, do you still get lonely? Yeah, I get lonely all the time. And I think that that's, again, coming back to the idea of self-compassion, I think that actually acknowledging that was so important because you know I say I get lonely all the time that's because I think we all get lonely all the time and we don't really acknowledge it so it's a bit like we all get hungry all the time so if I have a week where I'm feeling a bit off or I I don't know maybe there's something particular that I want to share like a a television program that I want to discuss with a friend or an experience I want to have that's just a really useful piece of information to inform me I guess taking control over how I want my social life to look Uh, I'm very much a fan of sort of really thinking quite proactively about how you want to design your life and I think that in the past actually I used to also get lonely quite a lot even when I was an extrovert seeing people all the time and a large reason for that was I wasn't giving myself the social interaction that I'd want. So maybe I'd be out most nights of the week, but I wouldn't be doing anything that fed me. I, was, I wasn't having the conversations that helped me feel grounded or seen or, you know, even I'd have many of those conversations, but I wouldn't have the fun that I was craving. So I think loneliness comes in lots of different forms. 
I think we all feel it more than we possibly think that we do. And I think it's just acknowledging that, hearing it, feeling it and processing it that can actually get us to a much more satisfying state of connection. I also actually wanted to pick up on your point about being a guru because I think that's super interesting as well. Uh, And this is something that I've very much had to navigate in my career because early on writing about this topic, I did, I suppose also because I hadn't seen many of the people writing about it exclusively, I did feel like the leading voice on alone time. And that was actually a strange place to be because I'm not an expert. I don't have any expertise. I'm not a medical professional. I don't have a psychology qualification. I'm realizing that, realizing that actually it's more about being the one that asks the questions and opens up this conversation and stays curious. That's so much more of a satisfying thing. I'm very inspired by a gentleman called Oliver Berkman, who wrote one of the best-selling self-help books of last year, 4,000 Weeks, he used to write a column for uh, The Guardian called This Column Will Change Your Life. And he writes about all sorts of positive psychology and personal development. And the more he gets into his career, the more he says, I've got no idea. I'm just I'm just trying to be a bit happier and a bit more productive. And it's very freeing to hear someone that's so prominent in this space say that. So I suppose I've taken on the same almost anti-guru, anti-perfectionist, anti-expertise approach now. And I think look, I'm just someone that probably thinks about this topic a bit more obsessively than most other people do. So that's that, that's what I can offer. And if that's helpful, I'd love it to be because I think it's a really important, really fulfilling, really enriching conversation. Yeah, definitely. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about your podcast and your book before we finish. What I love about it so much is that you've just spoken to so many people and it, it feels, I feel like I'm listening to what's happening behind people's closed doors. And I absolutely love that. But I wanted to know if there was any experiences of any particular guests you've had about being alone that's really surprised you or any words of advice that they've given that you've been like, oh yeah, I didn't think of that. Ooh, um, I mean, pretty much every op- uh, every episode. I, I'm, I'm so lucky to have wonderful guests and people that, you know, I've basically been following around, following the work of for years and years. Uh, you know, I've had Alan DeBot on, Dr. Julie Smith quite recently, the best-selling nonfiction book at the moment, Emma Gannon, who I mentioned before, all these wonderful people. So I guess I, it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but I do learn something new from every episode it really really is hard to narrow down and pick the one most worthy of mention right now so I'm I'm going to go back and cheat a bit and talk about the first ever episode I recorded which was with Alain de Botton and the thing that the line from that podcast that resonates in my head that I never can forget is he said it's not being alone that is enough it's it's being alone well and that really really spoke to me because I suppose at this time I was exploring you know why why is being alone sometimes good sometimes bad why is that and it never had occurred to me before necessarily that alone time could be something that we would get right that we would work on making a good experience that didn't have to be defined in its value by whether you were an introvert or an extrovert so that was a real stepping stone I think to the conversations I had later on and now having come as far as you have do you have any advice for anyone who's listening who may struggle to enjoy having time alone I think to begin with don't beat yourself up about it it is really hard and you know I I go on about this but if I can 
I've written about the topic for two and a half years and still find it hard sometimes to sit down and journal for 10 minutes because my mind's everywhere, then it will be for everyone, particularly those who started out not being able to see it as a valuable thing. So self-compassion really needs to be at the heart of that. But having said that, it is hard, but it's also so worthy. And that's the only thing I can really tell anyone listening for certain. It is where you take control over your life and what you want from it. It's where you carve out that space for you. So I would begin with something that comes naturally to you in terms of self-expression or slowing down your slowing down your mind. For me, that was journaling. Journaling was a safe space for me to spend 10 minutes with my thoughts. And once I'd done that, that had a surprisingly huge impact. I would also maybe experiment if that's not your thing with something like meditation or something with like going for a walk maybe for, as you mentioned earlier, Molly, going out for a walk for 10 minutes with without your headphones. These 10 minute practices can make such a big difference. And I think sometimes we discredit them, but you know, if you were chain smoking for 10 minutes a day, that would hugely impact your health. So, so why not these little things too? And I think using that, that, that is, it's sort of the entrance fee to, to alonement, being able to sit with yourself quietly for a little bit of time and trust that it will come, trust that it will be self-perpetuating, that once you learn to conquer these little things by yourself, you can move on to the bigger ones. You don't have to jump in at the deep end, but it will be worthy. And there's a reason I've been going on about it for all this time. And there's a reason that over 50 people have come and spoken to me about this from you know all walks of life but all very successful people leading in their field there's a reason that it ties us all together that value of alone time exactly and if people want to listen to those conversations your podcast alonement is available on all main streaming platforms isn't it and then your book as well alonement how to be alone and absolutely owning it is available in most bookshops and on amazon of course Yes, it is. And also as an audiobook version uh, narrated by yours truly, if anyone fancies having that, I personally love audiobooks for going for a stroll with. So uh, yeah, if that that appeals, that's also an available option. Amazing. Thank you so much, Francesca. I've really enjoyed talking to you. 